for our second message today, we have a, a sermon from Mr. Barnabas and Grayson, Barnabas Grayson, entitled, I Change Not. Mr. Grayson. As you can see by the title, oh, good afternoon, everyone, sorry. I change not. I guess the more you see me come up here, you know something's bound to change in some way or another, but the, the title actually means that's what Malachi said, I change not, because, you know, I vacillate a lot, so, you know, I'm always in a state of change in some way or another. Changes. Changes can take us out of our comfort zone. They can make us feel, feel ill, at ease sometimes, because when questions come about regarding some kind of change, we oftentimes have uh, some kind of a problem or maybe an acceptance of uh, accepting the change. So changes can change us. They can either change us for the good or they can change us for the bad. It all depends. But we would rather not see change, especially when it appears, you know, things are going smoothly along for us. We don't want anyone to rock the boat or, or do anything of that sort. Now we know that there is a work that is going on that wants to change. Wants to change things change your mind, change your thinking, and it's the mystery of iniquity that is at work in our society, in the world today. We see how Satan tried to change the mind of Jesus Christ with the glory of the kingdoms and um, all the things that these uh, glories of the kingdoms presented if Christ would just bow down and worship him. So we see if, if Satan was trying to overcome Christ with these temptations, how much more would he seek to change us, to change you? We think probably that he would be more subtle in his approach, a lot more uh, sneaky, I suppose you could say. He would creep and crawl his way into um, bringing in false doctrine and division among the people. In the book of Luke chapter 4, Jesus being full, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So we see that Christ was full of the Holy Spirit. And so unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit, there are probably places we don't want to uh, be. Because if we're not full of the Holy Spirit, we're going to succumb to the wiles and the temptations of Satan the devil. And he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he, didn't, he did not, he ate nothing, and when they were ended, he afterwards hungered. And the devil said unto him, If you be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. 
And the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. This panoramic view, this vision that was just popping up in front of Christ in order to tempt him. Seeing all these beautiful sights that man had created. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. So we see where this ownership of you know, the world's great gleaming cities, we see that in whose power it is operating at times. If you will therefore will worship me, all shall be yours. It's a great temptation that was presented before our Savior. Jesus answered and said unto him, Get you behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So we see that with this temptation, we see the same thing happening among many today. We see the same thing. He works today using uh, the lust and the greed of men to gain a throat hold on believers and, and change things. We know he has been successful in changing times. He has substituted God's holy days with pagan holidays and festivals. He has changed the seventh day Sabbath to Sunday in honor of the resurrection. And because of the many do's and don'ts that were uh, written into how to observe the Sabbath, making it uh, burdensome, it is claimed that Christ came to do away with that law that was against us. So truth was rejected, changed into a lie. But we can see from church history how, how the Romish church was used to change the truth of God that would lead to the doctrines of men. Now we know that there can be all kinds of changes in life. Changes come, they go, that either have a good effect or a bad effect. Either way, we have to make the right adjustment to those changes. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, I change not, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. You know, sometimes change is equated with uh, progress. There's always seems to be a better way of doing things. Some things change and some things stay the same. So we can ask ourselves today, how have we personally changed? Or have, have we? Years ago, uh, it's been a long time, uh, last saw uh, a friend there in Big Sandy and uh, he said to me, uh, you haven't changed. And I took that as a, a good uh, compliment because, you know, he, uh, hopefully he was seeing the spirit of God in me because this was coming on this came after, you know, there was that, uh, that great split, that division in the church. So I figure it was a spiritual quality of Christ that he saw in me. Now, a lot can be said about change, whether it is good or not so good. And hopefully, you know, we change for the good, if there's any changes to be made. And perhaps, you know, when he said, uh, you haven't changed, and so you can probably take it the wrong way and say, well, you're just the same, same old guy. Why don't you change, you know? But, you know, well, I took it the right way, I hope. But one thing we can be sure of, and, and that is what the eternal 
our God said. He said, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Uh, we'll go into the statement to see in what context this was made a little later, somewhere near the, the end of the sermon. But for now, at first glance, one may think, well, if God does not change, and why Hebrews 7, where it says in verse 12, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. And we also know that there are changes in, you know, from the old covenant to the new covenant and from literal sacrifices and sin offerings to trust in the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ you know, for our atonement. But we know what, that what the eternal is talking about is that it is, is his nature, his character. That's what does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Or tomorrow, the future. We know him to be a God of love. We know him to be a God of mercy, of loving kindness, of forgiveness, and of great patience. And we can be thankful for the patience that he has for each and every one of us. I'm glad my wife has patience with me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'll pause like it anymore. <laughs> That's good, though. I'm glad you agree. You know, our wives are really there for a help meet. Our mates are there for a help meet. And uh, I really need a lot of help. But we know that our help, of course, comes from God, and it's good that, the, uh, that things don't change when we, in us unless we allow it to. We don't change our love for hate, our, our patience for impatience, and so on. But God is a God of love, and that's what he's talking about. And there are many qualities that he has that we can be thankful that he has, qualities that we can emulate in our own life. Now, in our personal lives, some of these qualities we are sometimes known uh, to others by, and they mean a lot, and it is often what draws us to the person. Now, there are circumstances and situations that can change lives for the good or for the bad, and some of these changes can have a lifelong effect. And those changes, you know, involve a period of adjustment, a time to think about what effect a change might bring. Now, as many people know, and politicians especially, if you want to make enemies, try changing something. But I change not, said the eternal God. Now, does that mean God is set against change, that he is set against progress? Some may want to question change, and some will question, will say, well, why not a change? There was a writer named Leo Tolstoy, and I saw this in a quotation book. He was reported to have said, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. So we know this is what the Father meant. That's what he wants in us, a change in our inward self. It's said in the Gospels that we're not to judge others, see the, the, uh, the problems they have without looking you know, at our own self in order to see clearly so that we may cast whatever thing that we think is uh, uh, bigger in our life than theirs. So life is filled with many changes. And when uh, 
you're judged or when you're made to uh, look at yourself personally or collectively, you know, change has got to come in some way. Those changes sometimes are sudden. And when they come along suddenly, uh, you know, they, are, they take us by surprise, they take us off guard, and sometimes they're gradual, when all of a sudden, you know, wow, I saw this coming a long time ago. But changes, you know, occur in our health, they occur in our family, they occur in our finances, our job situations, our disposition, and, our, and we find that these things that change uh, can upset us or they can upset others. Our mood can change from day to day. So when you hear my wife Carolyn say, she woke up grumpy this morning, you know she's referring to me because I, I do that sometimes. I don't know, uh, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many of you woke up grumpy this morning? But you know how it goes. And we hear about social change, we hear about clim climate change, we hear about uh, political changes, changes at work, changes at school, changes at church, and so on it goes. Our looks also change. Beliefs change, attitudes change, feelings change, views change. And changes in those things so far mentioned can have an extensive impact on our life. But how deep depends on how important enough it is to be worthy you know, of whatever attention we give it. We're creatures of habit. We have a certain way of doing things and a time schedule to keep to. We have a certain way of thinking and when there is an interruption in that thinking, it can upset us. So no matter how big or small a change is, you know, we go to work on reasoning it out, making some kind of mental or physical adjustment that will best suit us. Or we just let it go, seeing that it has really no direct effect on us. Because in today's world, you can get wrapped up in so many issues, so many events that it can change your thinking. It can change your attitude. We know that as a church organization, we seek to change people's lives in a good way by directing them toward the true doctrines of Jesus Christ. And, you know, there are some who do it better than us. And we can look back on our own changes, you know, after years of Sabbath breaking by not ceasing from labor on, on the Sabbath, and then change to remembering to keep the Sabbath holy can be quite, and is quite, a life-changing experience. And there are certain other beliefs that one, uh, things that we have to adjust to, like, uh, you know, clean and un uh, unclean meat, changing our dietary habits. But these things, many of us have done for a long time, so it's ingrained in us. Especially when we have children and, and they, they've been reared in the church and they know basic, the basic doctrines that, that we preach. And hopefully nothing can or will change that. But we know that iniquity abounds. It's out there. And the love we know of many shell wax cold. Something will happen to change that or the temptation to change it will come. Nevertheless, we all like a change of scenery sometimes, a different way of doing, th doing things, and so we explore things that uh, can be made for our good. So, question, what motivates changes? What good are changes? Why should we change? 
and why should we not change? I just want to talk about one thing. One is that change can remove complacency. People tend to become too self-satisfied to where things just stagnate and nothing really gets done or things become so familiar it breeds contempt. In Matthew chapter 28, Christ said, Jesus, uh, this is uh, verse 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power is given unto Christ in heaven and in earth. So that's a lot of power that we can draw upon whenever uh, there's change that uh, might upset us. But in verse 19, he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. To do though that baptism in, in uh, God and Christ's honor. And in honor the authority of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. We know this commission has not changed. People still use it. People still look to it as a guiding principle in why they exist as a, as a Christian organization. But following Pentecost, we find that many of those who were converted and knowing the commission had settled in a little bit there in Jerusalem. Chapters in Acts chapters 1 and 12, we're not going to go there, but it describes the first 12 years of the Christian church. And we see it contains the history of the planting and extension of the church among the Jews by the ministry of, of Peter. But we know that these early Christians worshiped regularly at the temple. Apparently they saw no need to change from Judaism or the Old Testament forms of worship. In Acts chapter 3, we read, beginning verse 1, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, at the time of prayer, being the ninth hour. So this hour of prayer, or the time of prayer, was early morning. There was the ninth hour, and, which was three, around 3 p.m., and later in the evening, three times. And this was a regular daily ritual, a routine, in which no change uh, was, would, be, would come as a surprise. And verse 2. You know, when you look at this, uh, these, uh, these three uh, times for prayer, morning, midday, and then evening, you wonder how long you could keep it up. I wonder how long I could keep it up because I've really not tried that. But some do. And we know that there are certain religions who are very faithful in, in spreading out their, their rug and, and bowing down at certain times of the day. But a certain man, verse 2, lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. So we see this cripple who couldn't, couldn't walk, laid there daily for the purpose of asking alms. He was a regular sight to see there on the premises. So surely he must have thought those who were going into the temple to pray would also be dependable to provide him with an, with the, an alm and not deny him. 
So many gave to him, and there were good days most of the time, perhaps for him. But uh, the thought may have been among many that were in the temple today, uh, I, I hope he's not there today because I'm running low on money, but they may have wished that the cripple may have changed and gone to another location. But there he was daily on a regular basis, on the goodness, depending on the goodness of certain ones. So it was a good spot for everyone to see, for all to see the power of God that was uh, going to come. So in verse 4, Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. So you have to, I guess, put yourself in the, in the position of this, this uh, cripple. And he has these two men who come to him and, and say, look into, my, look into our eyes. Must have been a little bit of uh, a scare. But he said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to read something of them. You know, the handout, the, uh, the silver or whatever. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So in the power of Jesus Christ, he told the man to rise up and walk. And so that power just flowed into his limbs and strengthened him. And there was a ch sudden change to his health. To his way of life. And verse 7. And he took him by the right hand. And lifted him up. And immediately. His feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up. Stood and walked. And entered with them into the temple. Walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him. Walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate at the, uh, of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. They saw an unbelievable, a miraculous change happen before their eyes. This cripple who couldn't walk, who had to be carried to where he was, was suddenly filled with this power from, from Christ that flowed through his body to give him healing. The cripple was well, well known. He was 40 years old. And it was from birth that he was a cripple. And nothing had changed in his condition until that time. But the time for change came. Just as we wait sometimes for a change in our life uh, to come. So he got more than gold or silver. But what he received was a great blessing from the power of God being restored. We know from church history that the uh, gospel began from Jerusalem and miracles were done to show the power that Christ had given through uh, the apostles and through the gospel. Such miracles, of course, like this, give us also hope for we read of them today, knowing that these things are possible and needful and a time when these changes will come upon us. Verse 11, And as a lame man which was healed, held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, you men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? 
The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and kill the prince of life whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. In his name through faith, in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. And then he says in verse 19, repent therefore, and be converted that your sins be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. The change for this cripple came a long time. It was a long time in waiting. There at the gate every day, hoping to have alms, hoping to provide a means for a living. But then he, his whole body was changed. You know, repent and to be converted means change. And verse 20, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. So change is expected in all of us. Good change, goodly changes. Change, uh, repentance is a term that means a change in the direction of one's life. It means a turnaround or a, a belief in the power of God and his never changing good. We see faith throughout the Bible in Christ is a condition for salvation. But that healing event that we see here in Acts that it posed some problems for Peter and John. Because there came opposition from the religious leaders, the temple officials. And a fire was lit under the early church then. Acts chapter 4. Verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees, Sadducees came upon him, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So not only was this party opposed to the teaching of these disciples, they also did not believe in the resurrection and they didn't want it being taught. And if it was allowed to spread, uh, it would uh, change the people's minds. It would change their belief system. And so in verse 3, they laid hands on them and put them in, in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. So at one miracle, that one uh, power that was uh, exemplified through these disciples from, uh, from Christ, it caused a big change in the lives of those who witnessed it. Let's drop down to uh, verse 9 or verse 7. And so they uh, put this uh, cripple on the stand. And when they had set them, along with the disciples, verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, you rulers of the people and elders of Israel, 
If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this uh, man stand here before you whole. So there's no other power or authority, or authority, nor organization, but Christ only. It's through his power. Now, verse 13, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, this is how they looked at the, uh, the apostles, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And they said, well, hey, these are just unschooled men. They're, they're ignorant men. We, we can't really punish them for a first offense because, you know, Jewish law forbade it to be done if, if it was done in ignorance. And so instead they were sternly warned to not preach that message, to change the message. Verse 14, beholding the man was healed standing with them, they could, say really, they could really say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them, as manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. There's no, you know, there's no way. Everybody saw it, this miracle, this power. But that it spread no further. Now we, you know, we can't do anything about what transpired, but we can probably uh, have it not spread any further. Let, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, unto God, judge you. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old, on whom this miracle of healing was showed. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they, that's these, uh, these uh, people of their own company, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, which have made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. So they praised God for that. And they were happy to see it. But this event eventually would change their lives. It led to more persecution. And that from the religious leaders who didn't want to change their way of believing or thinking and but for the believers in Christ, it awakened them, and they began to make things interesting. So this miracle supported their belief that they were on the right track, and, and the things that they believed in were true, even though it m may mean that there is a bad change coming about. And so whatever complacency they had, some of them felt stirred up to change. Now, some of us remember, you know, 9-11. We remember when the uh, Berlin Wall came down, and so we thought, well, prophecy's about to be fulfilled, and it excited quite a few of us. And that was a long time ago, but whatever complacency, uh, you know, we had about uh, the, had at that time, you know, was suddenly we, we were moved to excitement and renewed dedication, even though it m may mean dire cha changes coming 
our way. There was a writer named Washington Irving. Uh, he once said, there is a certain relief in change, even though it be from bad to worse. As I have found in traveling in a stagecoach that it is often a comfort to shift one's posi position and be bruised in a new place. So sometimes, you know, people would rather uh, suffer in another way than to go through, you know, that again. And sometimes it, it helps to change. And prayer, we see, can change things. Verse 24, so when this company, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, your God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in uh, uh, is. And then verses 25 on down, uh, they reference Psalm 2, the, uh, the prayer that David made. Changes come to us in different ways. Sudden changes we know are sometimes hard to, uh, to adjust to, to accept, but we're told to watch and pray, be prudent, and whatever change there comes to our present situation, we pray in order that we may be enabled to adjust while putting our trust in Christ. And, and you know, while there were established uh, religious leaders in the temple, you know, the, uh, those things uh, led to a change in leadership among the faithful believers in Christ, the body of Christ. So that miracle also produced a change. Verse 1 from uh, Acts 6, In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So this was an event, and uh, as commentators have said, it was an ethnic event that brought about a change. It was a spark, an event, just as we see how news today can, uh, can change uh, uh, the world's attention toward. So verse 2, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and they said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. All these names that you see here are Greek names rather than Hebrew, Hebrew ones. And uh, in the Companion to the Bible by Richard, uh, Larry Richards, he says, he stated, what an expression of trust to put one's own fate in the hands of members of a complaining minority. Verse 6, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So this change was probably a cause for wonder among some. And as it was brought out in, in reading this companion to the Bible, Richards uh, said, there is much to learn from that event. That is, to don't blame, but to deal with the problem openly, to make it a matter of prayer, 
to challenge the church to work out its own solution and select godly, uh, godly people known and trusted by the community to take responsibility. In verse 8, Stephen, full of faith and power, he did great wonders and miracles also among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, uh, called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them Cilicia and of Asia, disputed with uh, Stephen. But they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. So Stephen was martyred, but after Stephen's martyrdom, persecution also increased. Uh, Acts chapter 8. And there was Saul, whose name was changed to Paul. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judah and Samaria, except the apostles. And we see how this change even uh, changed Paul later on. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial. They made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc, or havo, of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So they had to get out of Jerusalem lest they uh, be persecuted and martyred as they saw what happened to Stephen. Let's drop down to verse 25. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. They, these, uh, they went into these villages, these communities of the Samaritans, of which the, there were many people. But Philip, he was called to go to one person in particular. And we pick that up in verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise, get up and go toward the south unto the way that goes down from Jerusalem into Gaza, which is desert. He arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasures, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near, join yourself to this chariot. And Philip ran there to, to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he said, You understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would just come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In verse 34, 
And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray you of whom speaks the prophet this, of himself or of some other man. So Philip opened his mouth and he began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. So we see this one-on-one -on -one deliverance of the gospel, of the message of Christ. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he stopped the chariot in verse 38. They went down uh, into the water, and uh, Philip baptized him. So while we see an evangelizing campaign going to these uh, communities in Samaria, we also see a one-on-one -on -one report that the Spirit uh, led Philip to accomplish there with the Ethiopian. And that Ethiopian, uh, you know, uh, went into his own land and told of the things that he had witnessed and heard, and the gospel spread. So we see that <coughs> an evangelate an evangelizing campaign to many, uh, there could be at the same time one in witnessing is just as important. So we see God is not willing that any should re uh, perish but come unto repentance. And when we look at the world, we know that it is in need of godly change. We would like to change the world, but we cannot. It cannot be done without Christ, but we know that we have a message of importance that should affect changes in the lives of some, at least. Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appears, for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. You know, the reason we see so much immorality, so much injustice, so much trouble, so much trial, so much pain, so much death in the world is because there is no fear of God. But we know change will come. Christ will sit as a refiner, and a pure, uh, like a purifier of silver. The book of Revelation says a time will come for those who overcome, no matter who they are, will be unto God as kings and priests, ruling with Jesus Christ in his coming kingdom. Verse 6, Malachi there, it says, For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. I'm going to skip the reading of these other verses here on down to 15, but I'm going to skip there in 16. We know that our society needs to change, but yet they, uh, the society seems not to be troubled by what they're doing. So, in all these things that we see before us, you know, we've got to realize that fellowship is important. Last week we heard how uh, great the reward is that is coming and how that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together and as we take these things in it helps you know to keep us faithful as we support one another and encourage one another but over time 
many uh, you know, attitudes can change, beliefs can change, commitments can change, fellowship can change, and so on and so, so forth. Jeremiah 2, 11 through 13, has a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid, but be very des uh, desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. So we must be careful about changes and whether we change with it or how we change and why we change. Because in uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 3, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch you in all things, endure affliction, do the work of evangelists, make full proof of your ministries, telling Timothy. Uh, Malachi chapter 4, <clears throat> in closing. Behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yeah, and all that do dick, uh, wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that comes shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember you the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the eternal. So that day to come, you know, you know we look forward to it, but we also see that it is a dreadful day that is ahead. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So there must be a reconciliation before there is change. And if anything, let us be thankful and grateful that in spite of the many changes we see, both good and bad, that God, that the eternal, our Father, does not change. He remains the same in mercy and forgiveness and love, not willing that any should perish. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. But we know some things will change, but we know Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, full of grace and full of mercy.